Welcome to the District Podcast, Outside the District Edition, where we cover topics important to folks living outside of the big cities. I'm Teresa Mall, Assistant Editor at Spectator World. Today, our special guest is Josh Windham, an attorney at the Institute for Justice. Josh is joining us today to talk about a couple of cases IJ has moving through the courts that deal with warrantless searches on private land. They're creepy, they're unconstitutional, and they're not just confined to hunters and outdoorsmen. So Josh, why don't you take it away and tell our listeners what these cases are all about? Sure. Well, in the grand scheme of things, I think you hit on it pretty well. I mean, these are cases about the government's ability to enter people's private land, land that they use, they've marked as private. Sometimes they live on, sometimes they don't, but land they consider private in, in their space, you know, without a warrant, without their consent, and conduct, you know, various kinds of surveillance activities, and whether that's constitutional or not. I'll talk a little bit about each case, just kind of setting the, the context, and then we can unpack unpack them kind of as you please. So the first one that we filed, we filed in Tennessee, out in rural Benton County. And I've got two clients out there, one Terry Rainwaters, the other Hunter Hollingsworth. And I'll just kind of address them briefly in, in turn. So Terry has about 136 acre parcel. He lives on the parcel with his son, uh, who's in college. And he farms most of the open areas on the property for income. And he also hunts on the property. He's got a chained gate with a no trespassing sign at the entrance, and he likes his privacy. You know, he likes to make sure he knows who's coming on his property and and why they're there. And, you know, he tries to keep a pretty good tab on um, who he lets in and who's who's not allowed to come in. Hunter Hollingsworth uh, doesn't live on his property, but he owns a um, 93 acre parcel down the street from Terry, where he camps, uh, fishes, uh, does some light farming. And also hunts. And like Terry, he's got a chained gate at the entrance to his property. And both of them have no trespassing signs posted on the property. So they, you know, they've made it pretty clear, you know, don't come in without my permission. So in 2017, late 2017, both Terry and Hunter discovered, to their great surprise, uh, surveillance cameras on their properties. They were just sort of walking through their properties like you would do. And and they stumbled upon, you know, an unidentified unidentified camera staring at them and watching them. And they didn't know how long the cameras had been there. They didn't know who put them there. And eventually we sort of figured out, you know, they got in contact with us and we sort of figured out these cameras were placed there by Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency officers. In other words, game wardens. And um, we ended up suing TWRA for the uh, warrantless entries that led to the installations of the cameras and learned throughout the course of the case that it wasn't just the cameras. The cameras were actually the tip of a much larger iceberg. We learned that TWRA officers had spent hours and hours uh, entering their properties without consent and without notice and without a warrant, wandering around, you know, wearing camouflage, hiding in bushes, uh, recording videos of them and taking photos of them while they were just going about their private business or hunting with friends. And ultimately, we learned that there's no system in place whereby TWRA has to keep any sort of record of this stuff going on. So the agency itself couldn't even tell us during the course of the case how many times its officers had been on my client's properties. You know, they just had no way of knowing that information. And so ultimately, 
that that case kind of reached summary judgment stage and a, and a pretty big decision that we can talk about in a little bit. And we can unpack some of the constitutional issues involved. But briefly, the other case um, we filed in December of, of 2021, it's a similar case. It involves um, two private hunting clubs up in the Punxsutawney area of Pennsylvania. And these aren't just, you know, forested areas of land. I mean, a lot of the land is forested, but both the properties have, you know, hunting cabins on them, places where people go to stay while they're there on hunting trips. And so just like with, you know, Terry, who lives on his property, when people are there, they expect privacy there. You know, they're staying overnight. They have friends and family with them. They don't expect, you know, unwanted intruders on the properties, members of these clubs while they're there. And the properties are, you know, posted with uh, no trespassing signs around all the uh, around all the borders in Pennsylvania. If you mark your property with purple paint, it means no trespassing. You can't come in. And so they've also done that. And they've also got these these locked gates at the fronts of their properties. And so they've like Terry and Hunter, they've sent a signal to people. Hey, this is private land. You know, please don't come on without my consent. And just like in Tennessee, you have uh, we've, we've seen game wardens going on these properties without without a warrant, without their consent and just kind of patrolling around, seeing if they could catch them, you know, violating the state's hunting laws or find other evidence of crime. So we filed a suit in December of 2021, very similar to our Tennessee suit that basically says, look, these warrantless intrusions are not constitutional. I think both of those instances would give anybody the willies, but they're, the thing is they're not unusual, right? These sorts of laws are on the books in several states, more than uh, how many states? They're like 37 or something like that. Um, so it, it's probably it's likely that uh, this could be the case where you live, that these game wardens have this power just to go on your property and creep around, um, set up cameras. And how has this gone unchecked for so long. I know that there have been other challenges to it. You have a really, really um, creepy uh, example of a woman who was uh, thought to be faking her disability. Can you can you give us that example? Because I know the last two that you just gave um, apply to hunters and outdoorsmen, which I hope many of our listeners are, but it's not just confined to that. So can you tell us that story? That's something that really struck with me. And whenever I tell other people about this case, it really kind of brings it home to to the everyman where you don't have to be living in the middle of nowhere or have vast amounts of uh, private property to be affected by this. Yeah. So I'll unpack that case a little bit and tell listeners kind of about the legal context that gave rise to it and also the context that makes all of these intrusions on my client's properties possible. So the case is called United States versus Anderson Bagshaw. And what happened was there was a, a lady who worked for, I believe, the U.S. Postal Service or another government agency. I'm forgetting the agency she worked for, but um, you know, she was a federal employee and uh, she had a back surgery. And there's a, there's a thing called failed back syndrome, which is basically if you get a back surgery, like a spinal fusion, it goes wrong. And you actually end up worse off or in more pain. You know, you're basically kind of kind of crippled. I mean, you could still do things, but you're just in a lot of pain day to day, and it's really tragic uh, when it happens. And so, um, this lady, you know, had this happen to her. She went on disability, and so she was staying at home and collecting, you know, government disability benefits for for what happened to her. And uh, at some point, there was a rumor started, or someone gave a tip to the government that, hey, this woman might not actually be disabled because she's been spotted, 
caring for alpacas in the kind of yards and fields behind her home with her husband. And so, you know, she needs to be investigated for disability fraud. And so the government says, okay, that sounds like a great idea. (laughs) So we're going to set up cameras um, around the property and uh, we're going to watch and and see if we can catch her, you know, uh, actively moving about and seeming healthy, try to collect evidence that she's been lying to us and, and defrauding the government of these disability benefits. And so a camera, the relevant camera in this case was put on a neighbor's property and overlooked uh, her backyard and the kind of field right behind her backyard. And the only real distinction between the backyard and the field behind it was that there's, you know, there's a fence that marks that marks them off from one another. But it's kind of silly to draw that distinction. And the court ends up doing that because there's an additional fence beyond the field as well. So it's all fenced in. There's just a fence that divides the backyard and the extra field. In any case, this camera, you know, watched her and recorded footage of of that kind of area behind her home for for months and months. And eventually, you know, the government collected evidence and said, okay, you're defrauding us. You're you're active. You're caring for alpacas with your husband. We're going to prosecute you. And she filed what's called a motion to suppress. A motion to suppress says you've collected this information without a warrant in violation of the Fourth Amendment. And so it can't be used to prosecute me in court. So the evidence has to be thrown out. And this makes its way up to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. And the Sixth Circuit, or I may be forgetting the the, the right circuit. I think it's the Sixth Circuit, but I could be forgetting. Um, But it makes it up to a federal court of appeals. And the court says, well, we're going to suppress the warrantless recording of your backyard area. Because the backyard area is basically the same as your house. (laughs) That we treat it as one with the home, but all other land outside that area, you know, is it's well established according to the U.S. Supreme Court that that land doesn't get any Fourth Amendment protection, and this is called the open fields doctrine. It's um, it's it's the idea that unless it's property like right around your house, um, all other land you might own is just entirely exempt from the Fourth Amendment's ordinary protections, and so. It doesn't matter if you fenced it. It doesn't matter if you've put up no trespassing signs. It doesn't matter if you farm it or if you use it every day. Um, none of that stuff matters under the open fields doctrine. And this this doctrine has been around for about a century. It dates back to prohibition. And uh, so the court says, well, we, we're going to suppress the evidence right be- of you know the recording right behind your house, but we're not going to suppress the evidence of everything that was recorded behind that. And that's, you know, that's pretty upsetting when you read the opinion because the, the camera ends up recording a lot of really intrusive things. It records, um, you know, not only her and her husband out, out back, but it records her husband uh, naked walking around. It records her son um, urinating on a tree. And so this is, I mean, this is really intrusive stuff. And the court even acknowledges no ordinary American would expect that the government would be setting up cameras and, and spying on us on our private land for months and months without our knowledge. And yet that's exactly what happened. And the court said, you know, everything the government recorded right behind that area behind her house, you know, totally scot-free. The government can use it to prosecute her. The Fourth Amendment has nothing to say here. And so this open fields doctrine, this idea of, you know, the vast majority of the land people own across the U.S. uh, just categorically gets no Fourth Amendment protection, you know, understandably, it it empowers law enforcement officers where they feel empowered under it to kind of do whatever they want. It's you can think of it like a blank check um, for them to go on your land as they please to treat your private spaces like public property. And so, you know, the reason the cases that we happen to be litigating right now involve hunting 
isn't so much because I'm singling hunting out as a, you know, a special focus of mine personally. It's just that hunting has an intersection with, with private land, right? Like people can hunt on their private land and they actually like doing that a lot across the country. And it, it happens to be the case that game wardens, you know, across the country in all sorts of different states have this statutory power that you alluded to earlier. They have a statutory grant of authority to basically go on private land and look around and see if they can catch people that are, you know, doing things wrong. And it's not, you know, these statutes don't say you have to have probable cause. They don't say there has to be some kind of emergency to go without a warrant. They just say they can go on the land, right? And it's just, it's a broad grant of authority. And so, you know, when you have that kind of power, what ends up happening is that um, the government doesn't feel like there are any limits on what it can do. And so it's, it's, you know, fair game to put up a camera in your trees and just watch you for as long as it wants, because, well, if they can come on your property when they want, why can't they put up a camera and, and kind of establish a permanent surveillance presence there, right? There's, there's really no limits. And the point of these cases that we filed is to try to establish those limits and show that actually, you know, whatever the U.S. Supreme Court has said about the Fourth Amendment, state constitutions, like in Tennessee, like in Pennsylvania, actually can provide that kind of protection for private land that I think all Americans are really entitled to. You gave a really striking example when we spoke about this before that really drove it home to people who maybe don't live in rural areas who don't have experience on huge tracts of private property. You know, you think about warrantless searches, you wouldn't expect the police to be able to come into your living room and start looking around to see if you did something wrong. I think you give the example of a police officer crouching in your in the shrub in your backyard <laughs> in the middle of the city, just waiting for you to see if you start doing drugs or something like that. It's it's pretty much the same thing, except on a larger scale, right? Yeah, well, it is. And, and the reason I gave that example is that the, the most common, I think, response to our cases is or at least, you know, a lot of responses are very sympathetic and people appreciate what we're trying to do. But the most common criticism is, well, you know, game wardens are just trying to enforce wildlife laws, right? They're just trying to ensure that hunters follow hunting laws. And how can they do that if they have to get a warrant before going into your your land? And, you know, I think the response to that is it, it's basically a question premised on the idea that it's really important to enforce these laws. And that may be true, um, but, you know, there are all sorts of laws that are passed on the premise that they're important and necessary to enforce. And yet we say in all these other contexts, like the ability to traffic drugs from your home, for example, that the Fourth Amendment doesn't just stop applying because we think it's important for police to enforce the law. The whole premise of both the Fourth Amendment and state constitutional protections against warrantless searches is that police have to enforce the law consistent with the constitution. It's not the case that just because the legislature really wants to pass a law and wants the police to enforce it, that all of a sudden that creates kind of like an exemption from the fourth amendment. So I know you just scored big victory in your Tennessee case and that you have a case very similar pending here in Pennsylvania where I live. Um, so what's next? What do you, do you hope to overturn open fields laws or set a precedent that will go nationwide so that you kind of take care of this from the top down or what's, what's your outcome going to be here? Well, these are definitely parts of a bigger puzzle. Um, the, the Tennessee case, I'll just kind of briefly talk about the decision we just got. So um, earlier this week on Tuesday, we got a decision from the Benton County Circuit Court, and there was a special three-judge panel sitting to hear the case. 
um, which really just, it's not that important other than to say that the, the state requires additional judges to sit in on a case like this when it involves a challenge to the constitutionality of a statute. And so we argued this case before three judges in December. We got a decision earlier this week that says that the statute that allows these officers to enter people's private land basically whenever they want, basically without any limits on their discretion, um, is unconstitutional statewide. So it's it's a decision that helps both my clients, but says game wardens in Tennessee can't just do this anywhere they want to. In fact, they can't do it anywhere. What they have to do is follow the Tennessee Constitution's ordinary standards for conducting searches, which is, you know, typically if you're going to enter someone's property, you've got to get a warrant. Um, or you have to get consent, or there has to be some other, you know, recognized exception to the warrant requirement, like the most typical one is going to be exigent circumstances, right? So that's when there's an emergency that requires you to go in immediately. These are these are the ways that they could go in, but, you know, they can't just do an end run around the Constitution. So that's what the court holds. The state has um, 30 days to appeal that decision, and we'll see what they do. But the bigger picture perspective we're trying to bring here is that private land does get constitutional protection, that statutes that give law enforcement officers a blank check to enter private land with basically no oversight, um, those are unconstitutional. And we now have a court decision in Tennessee saying that. You know, we've got the same goal in our Pennsylvania case. Um, there's a set of statutes that basically amount to the exact same thing we were challenging in Tennessee. And so the arguments are really similar. There's not, not much of a difference, except that in Pennsylvania, uh, there's a case from 2007 where the Pennsylvania Supreme Court says we're going to follow this federal open fields doctrine under our state constitution. So our case in Pennsylvania is actually designed to get to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and to give the court a chance to say we got it wrong. In fact, the Pennsylvania Constitution um, doesn't and shouldn't follow the open fields doctrine. Now, on a on a, on a broader scale, uh, you know, we're interested in filing more of these cases in more states. And at the end of the day, you know, taking on the federal open fields doctrine under the Fourth Amendment. But this is a this is a long journey. It's going to be a, it's not going to be something that happens quick. I mean, the open fields doctrine has been around for 100 years. Law enforcement agencies and regulatory agencies across the country like rely on it on a day to day basis. And so to say that we want to take down the open fields doctrine is to say that we want to change the way things have been, you know, for almost a century. And that's um not something that happens quick, but I think it's something that's desperately needed. I believe in you, Josh. I think you can do it. <laughs> and we will, of course, follow along on this journey. And um, please keep us updated on all the all the victories you have to keep us free. We know Big Brother is always watching us and you're, you're going to see to it that he can watch us a little less, at least whenever we're out trying to enjoy nature and <laughs> recreate in the wild places. So thanks for joining us today, Josh. And uh, can you tell our listeners how to learn more about the Institute for Justice and some of the other cases and wonderful work that you guys do? Yep. The best way is www.ij.org. And uh, that same that same tag is going to get you to, you know, if you look for us on social media, you'll find us under IJ or Institute for Justice. And I encourage everybody to follow us on you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, we have podcasts of our own. So go look us up. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available.